Amen. You can be seated. Love that song. God is good all the time. And all the time. Thank you. God is good. I'm glad somebody got that. That's exciting. Well, it's hard to believe, but Christmas is almost upon us. We had our Adams family. It wasn't, I'm sorry, it's the first service too. It wasn't the Adams family Christmas. That you know what an Adams family Christmas would look like. You know? <laughs> this was on Julie's side, and we had a bunch of us. And, and the, the problem is with all of our kids married now, and some of the other ones starting to get married. It's really hard with in-laws, you know, and outlaws and everything, trying to get everything together. So we decided on a week before. And it worked, and it's like each time, you know, more gets added. And so pretty soon it'll be like September, we'll be having our Christmas or something. I don't know. But what, what is nice about having done some of it yesterday is that it, drag, it drags it out. I didn't really mean to say that. It stretches it out because so often it's like boom, 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 and then Christmas is over, and then holy cow, it's done, you know? And, and you put so much into it, and it's just really nice to be able to enjoy it for a little bit. And so we've been spending this month, before I do that, because Christmas is coming up, we're having Christmas a journey in our church, and we started something last year we're going to kind of keep doing because at the moment it's working, and so we're going to have three services, three Christmas services, and at one time we called them Christmas Eve services, and, and they're kind of, but not, they're still candlelight services, but here's what we're going to do. Go ahead and put up the next screen. Christmas Eve, 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 which is this Friday, seven o'clock will be our first Christmas at Journey North Church service, candlelight service. And then Sunday, we will have two services, 9 and 10.30, which is kind of normal in terms of time, but they will be Christmas services, so candlelight, the whole thing, it'll be the same thing Friday and both times on Sunday. And so the opportunity then is when God lays somebody on your heart that you said, oh, they, they, should, they should really see what's happening at Journey North Church and be a part of that, it's a great time to invite them. So you can invite them to one, then you can just show up at one, you can serve at one, there's a whole bunch of opportunities. And I'll try to remind you of this at the end. If you call Journey North Church home, so if you're a guest today, you, you don't have to listen for the next couple minutes. I'll let you know when you start listening again. If you call Journey North Church home and you come to one of the first two services, Christmas services, and they're full. There's a couple options. One of them might be to give up your seat for a guest, come to a later service. Another one might be to give up your seat for a guest and serve or greet or welcome people or something because we, we, always, we always anticipate um, a, a great crowd, especially of people who don't normally come to join our church. So we just want to make sure everybody feels welcome and that they're not only welcome, but that they're wanted. So that's public service announcement. You can all start listening again. <laughs> we spent uh, the, the last couple weeks, and we're going to spend today talking in a series, like I said last week, it's with thousands of other churches, tens, probably hundreds of thousands of people. And the truth is, the message that we're doing is a message that is Christmas, and that's God with us. That's what we're talking about. One of the things that I just love about Christmas, I mentioned this last week, we're shopping in stores that like they have nothing to do with Jesus. These stores obviously have nothing to do with Jesus. And yet they're playing Christmas songs over the radio, over, over the speakers that are talking about the king being born and they're talking about Jesus and it's like they don't even know what they're doing. They're just playing Christmas songs, but it's the gospel. 
coming over the speakers in these stores. And it's phenomenal that at this time of year, regardless of where people are at or what they're thinking, there is something that's helping them focus a little bit on the fact that at a point in history, God became man. That the verse that we're looking at, Matthew one we've looked at this each time. We're going to kind of expand it fully when we get together for um, Christmas. But it's Matthew one twenty three says this. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. That is the most amazing thing. And I just love that for this brief period of time during the year, the whole world kind of hears about that, whether they know it or not. They hear about the fact that God loved you so much that he became one of us and that God is with us. And so what we've done is we've talked the last few weeks, the first week we talked about the fact that God is with us in the valleys and and we enjoy him on the mountaintops, but we really get to know him intimately in the valleys. Last week, we talked about the fact that God is with us in the wilderness, in the desert, and that our deepest need, the thing that that when we're in there, we're hurting and we're, we're missing the most, that deepest need can become a gift if it drives you to depend on God, because He's with us and wants us to understand that. Today, we're talking about the fact that God is with us in the storms. Storms are those difficult times that can seem to like blow in out of nowhere. You know, you, you weren't anticipating it. The weatherman said nothing about it. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, it's just there on your life. Now in Minnesota, we understand storms, especially like out of nowhere. I look at the weather. I, I, I kid you not, every Sunday, it's probably because I talk about the weather uh, during motorcycle season, because I said, oh, we're going to be able to ride, we're going to be able to do this. And so people just, I have a, a number of people that come up to me, and it's so funny, they come up to me today, it's already happened, right? three times. They come up to me, oh, it's going to be, and then they'll give me the weather report for the week. And what's so funny is all three of them, completely different. <laughs> and it's like, I don't know where you're getting your information, but it's a crapshoot. Nobody knows what's going to happen in the weather. And, and we like, we actually like to brag about our storms. I don't know if you know this, but we've named some storms, but we're not allowed. The weather services says we're not allowed to name our storms, but we do it anyhow. Because if, I, if you're from Minnesota and, and I said, do you remember or do you know what the Halloween blizzard is? First service, same thing happened. Everybody's like, oh, yeah, because sometimes you're not old enough and you just heard stories of it. Sometimes it's like, yeah, I remember that. It was supposed to snow an inch and it snowed like how many, you know, 14 inches or something. It seemed like 20 feet. Um, uh, where I'm from, in Ohio, we call it the North Coast. It's so funny, for a while they called it the Golden Coast, and it's like, no, if you call it the Golden Coast, you've never been to Ohio, all right? Um, North Coast is stretching it because it's the coast of Lake Erie, you know? But uh, we had, if you're, if you're from Ohio, in the northern part of Ohio, and you mentioned the 4th of July storm, everybody will know what you're talking about. You can go Google it later on. Say, 4th of July storm, Ohio. And it'll tell you, 4th of July, 1969, it'll tell you what happened, how many people died, how fast it hit, and just amazing storm. And so that will always be called the 4th of July storm, even though we're not allowed to name storms. And the weather service has said you can't do that. But we can name storms from the south, from the hurricane storms, because they impact a whole bunch of people, and they got to be able to say, it's this particular storm, and you're watching this, so they name it. So we have, you know, Hurricane Irma. Or we have Hurricane Harvey, 
Or we have hangover Henry. That's a storm that many of you have experienced. (laughs) Um, But the naming of storms, they actually tried a number of different ways. They called them different things. They actually tried to name some after cities for a while, but you couldn't do that because if they said this is, you know, Hurricane Houston or whatever, the problem was that's not the only place it affected. It, it affected a lot of places. And they tried different things, and they actually settled on a naming method. 1953, they started naming hurricanes after females. They gave them female names. And the, you're laughing already. Some of them um, claimed that the reason they do that is because it's just what you do. You name ships and boats after females too. And so we're naming storms after. It's like, you can't fool me. There was actually a rumor going around, and I kind of have a feeling it's probably true, that the U.S. meteorologists who started this, they started naming storms after their girlfriends and wives. In what universe did you think that was going to turn out okay? I named the storm after you, honey. (laughs) Hurricane Julie. Yeah, it wiped out 14 cities. (laughs) That didn't turn out like I thought it was going to. So they they started that, and and it it took a while, but the ladies were not really thrilled that that was happening. And so in 1979, there was equal rights for storms, and they, they added the men's names to it. And I don't know if you're aware of this, but they actually have lists. They have six lists of names, and those rotate. And so they'll start at the beginning of the year, and whatever list they're in, they'll go through that whole list until they get to the end. And if they get to the end and there's been more storms than that, then they have a a thing to do. But the next year, then they start over on the list. And so every six years, the storms get named the same thing, unless it's a very destructive storm and does really bad things. And then they don't want to repeat that. And so they take that name off the list and and remove that, replace it with something else. But we we name those storms. But in our life, there are some storms that we could probably name too. And they they would be storms of betrayal that we probably don't want to remember, but we have names attached to that. Storms of, of divorce, storms of depression, storms of addiction, storms of sickness or disease and we have these storms and they just sometimes blow in when they are least expected and if you're like me one of the things that happens when those storms blow in when we're in the middle of those storms too often what we'll say is where is God in this storm why is he allowing this to happen to me why doesn't he do something about it so if you're taking notes you have an outline in your worship folder that you can follow along with. It's got the verses on it. It's also got a couple fill-ins, and there may be some other things that you need to write on there today to remind yourself of. But here's the big thought for today's message that I want you to be able to take away. Never let the presence of a storm cause you to doubt the presence of God. Never let the presence of a storm cause you to doubt the presence of God. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to spend a few minutes and we're going to look at a story from the Bible that I think will really help you in your storm. It's a story about a storm. And it's a storm that it actually, I think it ended up lasting for like 14 days. It was this massive storm in the Mediterranean where where it can get really bad there. Storms can blow in fast and get bad, especially as you approach winter. And the Apostle Paul was being taken as a prisoner to Rome. And they had to get him there, and so rather than take you know, a whole bunch of time by land, they wanted to go by ship. And so they got in the ship, and massive storm hit. And it's funny, they even had a name for it back then. They called it the Northeaster 
because that's where the wind was coming from and that's what was causing their problem. And it was one of these horrible winter storms and it was going on for days. They're out in this ship for days. And it's not like some big luxury cruise liner. It's this wooden ship that's, that's driven by sails and rudder and the crew's trying to keep things going and they can't see the land and the storm is horrible and they're panicking. And you know, the, a ship's purpose in that day was to deliver cargo from one place to another and in order to save their lives, they're starting to throw some of the cargo overboard to lighten the ship so that it wouldn't sink. It said they even started grabbing some of the tackle on board that they're going to use for the ship, throwing it overboard because they have to lighten the load or they're going to sink. And these guys in the middle of this, this sea are terrified. So that's the picture. That's the story that we step into in Acts chapter 27. And in verse 20, it goes like this. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, kind of like Minnesota, Go for days without seeing the sun. You know, you used to look in, the sun's almost set, it must be 4.30 or I don't know, it says at 2 o'clock in Minnesota now, I think. But some, some days it's like, when sunset? I don't know, I haven't seen the sun since last Thursday sometimes. And they didn't have the really nice GPS, you know, the really nice compass. They navigated by the sun, the moon, and the stars. And that's a problem if you're in the middle of a storm and you can't see the sun, moon, or stars. And it says, for days, neither sun nor stars appeared, and the storm continued raging. We finally gave up all hope of being saved. Collectively, is it we, they all they just gave up hope of being saved. And maybe you felt similar in some of your storms, that there was just no guidance. You didn't know which direction you turned, no matter which direction you turned, it looked bad. And the storm was wherever you looked, there was no guidance. And just when you were hoping that things were going to get better, the storm continued to rage until the point where you gave up all hope. It's not going to get better. This is not, it's not going to change. And you give up hope. And I don't know what storm you've gone through or are going through that causes you to feel like that. Maybe it's a, a marriage that's not going to make it. And maybe it's like we've tried everything and it's not going to work or, or, or we're suffering through this and it's just it's causing nothing but pain. We don't know what direction to turn and it's just continuing to rage and it's too easy to just give up all hope. Or maybe it's not the marriage, maybe it's your single. You'd like to be married, but you're giving up all hope and thinking I'm just going to be stuck like this, single and alone for the rest of my life. And, and the storm continues to rage to where you almost give up hope. Or maybe it's a financial situation for you and it's a debt issue. And maybe everybody knows about it, maybe nobody knows about it. And you look at your situation and you look at the income and the outgoing, you look at the storm around you and you say, I am never going to get out of debt. And the storm continues to rage and you just want to give up hope. Maybe it's, I'm always just going to be depressed. It's not going to change. The situation won't change. The storm won't change. I don't know what direction to turn. And I feel like it's just going to continue to go. The storm is not going to end. So for these guys in their boat, in the storm, the storm continued raging. And it says in verse 21, after they had gone a long time without food. Now there's a number of reasons for that. One is they were so busy just trying to keep the boat from sinking 
The other is when you're on a ship that's going up and down and up, and food is probably the last thing that you're thinking about because it doesn't end well often. You know, it's one thing to be on the boat in the storm hungry. It's another thing to be on the boat in the storm with everybody throwing up. And so they had gone a long time. It's a days without food. And so you get the picture. This is a desperate situation. The storm's going to take the boat out. They're throwing their livelihood overboard. They're throwing the tackle of the boat that's going to help them to land when they finally do land overboard. They're, they're starving because they haven't been eating. And at this desperate point of this storm continuing to rage, Paul stands up before them and says this, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourself this damage and loss. I love this. Paul is like super Christian, okay? One of the most spiritual Christians that ever lived. And as spiritual he was, as he was. I like the fact that he wasn't above saying, I told you so. <laughs> you, you should have taken my advice. If you'd have listened to me, you wouldn't be in this situation. And that was true. And sometimes what we do is when we're in the middle of our situation, we got to blame somebody. So you, what Christians will often do is they blame everything on the devil. It's the devil's fault. The devil caused this storm. I'm not saying he can't or doesn't. But we tend to blame all the storms on the devil when actually you just made a stupid decision. It's like, your mama told you, don't do that. She told you that. Maybe your best friend said, yeah, it's probably not the best idea. Your pastor said it. On, you heard it. And you thought, is he talking to me? Like, yeah, I'm talking to you. And you heard it. And you're eating at the Chinese restaurant. Even the fortune cookie says, you know... Your situation has a potential for ruin, you know? Or maybe you're a Star Wars fan and you keep hearing, I've got a bad feeling about this. Those of you who aren't Star Wars fans have no idea what I'm talking about. That line's been in every Star Wars movie and all the games. But you hear, I've got a bad feeling about this, and what do you do? You went ahead and did it anyways. And you wonder why you're in the middle of that storm. Maybe, I think one of the reasons that these guys gave up hope is because they were in a storm because of a decision that they made. They knew that. You see, the truth is, it's easy to believe that God's going to get you out of something if you believe that God allowed you in it. I didn't do anything. God just allowed this, and he got me in, and he's going to get me out, and everything's going to be good. It is more difficult to believe that God's going to get you out of something when you got yourself into it. It's like, I did this. I'm the one who screwed up. For some of those crew that were on that boat, they were on the boat in the storm, it was not their fault. But so often for us it is. We can be in a storm because we spent too much money. When your outgo exceeds your income, that's trouble. And when, they did, when you do that, you spend too much money, you find yourself in a storm, how did I get here? You know how you got there. Maybe it's because you mouthed off when you shouldn't have gotten a number of people into storms. Maybe you just weren't considerate of somebody else. You were too busy thinking about yourself and not busy enough thinking about somebody else, and it got you in the middle of a storm. Maybe you procrastinated on something, and now it's too late, and you're in the middle of the storm because you didn't do it. One thing I hear just way too often is somebody's in a situation where their relationship is absolutely horrible, and it's because they are dating or married to somebody that everybody that they respect around them said, stay. 
away from that person. And, and, and I know people who have actually made the decision to go ahead and date or marry someone to get back at somebody else. It's like, oh, how'd that work out for you? How is it working out for you? And we find ourselves in these situations that we got ourselves in. But some of the crew on this ship, they were on the ship not because of a decision that they made. I like the fact that at Journey North Church, we, we set people free to lead. And they set leadership free to lead. Does that make sense? We set people free to serve, and, and they set us free to lead. So um, we don't, consequently, we don't vote on a bunch of things. We only vote on four things, and one of them I'm hoping I'm never around for, and that's you'll vote on a senior pastor, and I hope I'm not around to see that happen. Um, but we vote on very little, and it's interesting because so many churches are very big on the, bo- on the voting, and it's like that's not a biblical thing. That's, that's an American government kind of thing. And it's not in the Bible in terms of church leadership. In fact, there's really only one clear example in the Bible of voting. And it's in this passage. You can look it up earlier in Acts 27. They decided and the majority, because they voted, they knew that, the majority decided we're going to go ahead and sail. (laughs) And Paul said, yeah, how'd that vote work out for you? Because the majority is not always right. In your life, you have people around you telling you to do this, telling you the majority is not always right. The crowd you go with is not always right. And these sailors now were going through a storm that looked like they were going to die. They had given up hope because of somebody else's dumb decision. How many of you, let me see your hands, how many of you have been in a storm because of somebody else's decision? Raise your hand. Be careful in case that person's next to you. It might be awkward. But you've been in a storm because of somebody else and what they did, and you didn't, you didn't have anything to do with it. Maybe, maybe it was a season in life and your parents got divorced and it caused all kinds of storms in your life. And it wasn't your fault. It wasn't your thing. But you're experiencing the storm because of it. Maybe you work for a company and that company made some really bad decisions. And it's affecting you and your life and you're in that storm and it wasn't your fault. Or here's one, I just, I hear this way too often. You trusted someone and they let you down. They betrayed you. They didn't do what they should do. They didn't come through when they should come through. And you're in the middle of a storm because of what somebody else did. What this story is trying to get across to us is don't give up hope. Don't doubt the presence of God. So there was crew on that ship that were there because they made dumb decisions. There was crew on that ship that were there because somebody else made decisions. Regardless of why you're in the storm, don't doubt the presence of God and don't give up hope. The story continues, but now, this is after all of this has happened. He says, but they're they're in the middle of the storm. They think they're going to die. They haven't eaten. All this stuff is going to happen. He says, but now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. And I can see that happen on the boat. They call them all into the little place, the little wheelhouse on the boat, you know, and, and, and Paul says, not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. And the crew is like, yay! And the owner of the ship is like, yay! Wait, What? The ship is going to be destroyed? Yeah, but you're not going to be. And he explains, last night, 
Paul says, an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me. This is in the middle of the storm after they had given up all hope. An angel stood beside me. I've had that happen. And I'm pretty sure you've had that happen too. You might not know that's what it was. But here's what I know. In more ways than you can imagine, God is with you in the storm. You might not see it. You might not feel it. You might not experience. But in more ways than you can imagine, God is with you in the storm. It might be the, the literal, he might literally send an angel. He might have someone show up that you need to, to have them say or be or do what they did in the middle of that storm. I know that he has his presence there. He has angels all around us. I, we can't see that, but that doesn't mean they're there. If you're a follower of Jesus and you've claimed Jesus as Lord and Savior, the Bible says you have his spirit living in you. The presence of God in you. His spirit dwells in you. That's why we sing songs like, I know who goes before me. I know who stands behind. When I think of that song, one of the things I think of is not just that God is here, God is here, God is here, God is here. What I think of is when he goes before me, I don't know what tomorrow will bring. I don't know what storm will come up later this afternoon or tomorrow. But I do know this, God goes before me. And when I am in the middle of that storm, he, it didn't take him by surprise. He was right there. And it doesn't matter if it was my fault or somebody else's fault. He is right there with me. When I'm on my knees praying and screaming and crying out to him, he is right there with me in the storm. When you're alone and, and, and you're silently sobbing or weeping out loud uncontrollably, he is right there there with you, comforting, trying to comfort, trying to guide. He is always there. Never let the presence of a storm cause you to doubt the presence of God. It's too easy to think, you, you know that I like this whole Paul and Timothy thing in the Bible, how Paul is encouraging Timothy and writes Timothy, partly because my name's Tim, Timothy, and I meet every week with Paul, and Paul spends every week trying to encourage me and teach me, and he thinks someday I'll get it, but I, I, I love reading what Paul writes to Timothy, and in this one thing, Paul's explaining to Timothy, he's not like saying, you should have done this and didn't. What he's saying is, here's something that happened to me. I had to go through these particular trials. I had to have this happen, and in 2 Timothy 4, verse 16, Paul starts out by saying, in, during this first thing that I had to go through, everyone deserted me. Now, Timothy wasn't around. It wasn't him Paul was talking about. But all of the people around him, he said, everyone deserted me. Maybe you know what that feels like, that you're in the middle of your storm and trial and you feel like everybody deserted you. Jesus knew what that felt like when he started going through the biggest trial of his life and all of the people who were close to him deserted him. Everybody has felt that. He said, everyone deserted me. But, verse 17, the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength. He knew that. He didn't see him. Everybody he could see had deserted him. But in the middle of the storm, he knew that God stood by my side and gave me strength. He knew that because he got him through the storm. David talks about the same thing in Psalm 16. 
verse 8. He says, I know the Lord is always with me. He doesn't say, I feel the Lord is always with me, because we don't. He says, I know the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. We have to have that confidence. Don't let the presence of a storm convince you that the presence of God is not there. Because he says, I will not be shaken. He is right beside me. You need to feel that God is taking care of you. Some of you know that in, in recent years, I, have, uh, I never had a bad relationship with my older brother. But for, for decades, we didn't have a relationship. We just didn't talk. We, had, we hadn't since we were in high school. Um, and in the last couple of years, we've kind of rekindled that, and renewed that, and I've got a chance to, to talk with him and spend some time with him, and it's been a very good thing, and, and we you know, reminisce and, and some things about high school. And, and when I was in high school, when I started high school, our high school was four years, um, 9th, 10th, 11th, 12th. So when I started in ninth grade, my brother was in 12th grade, so he was senior. And, and some of you know this, I, I, this is not sour grapes in any way, maybe who I am, but you know, parents aren't supposed to have favorites. My parents had two. They had three kids and two favorites, my older brother and my younger brother. And neither one of them could ever do anything wrong. My older brother, literally, for the first you know, six, 17 years of his life, didn't seem like he could do anything wrong. Everything he touched turned to gold. He decided his freshman year, everybody had been playing basketball since they could walk. And he decided his freshman year, I think I'll go out for basketball. Started varsity for four years. Set all kinds of school records. Decided his senior year, I'm a little bored, I think I'll go out for track. He said, you can't just like go out for track your senior year. It doesn't work that way. He went out for track and set three school records. My brother was very well known in school. He's like three inches taller than me and significantly larger than me um, even at that time. And everybody loved my brother. And for the first, I think for the first three years of high school, I'm not kidding, my teachers did not know my name. I was called in class, Little Adams. And it used to bother me at first, and then I realized, it kind of works for me. If I do something I shouldn't, they don't know my name. <laughs> it kind of works. But one of the things we used to do in school, I know it's, it seemed kind of weird to some of you, but it's, it's what it is. Um, our school was, was, it's, it was square, and it had a courtyard in the middle, and it had a hallway that went all the way around it, and with classrooms on either side. And we'd get to school in the morning, and, and you would walk around because it was cool to do. You'd just walk around until it was time to go into your class until you got to a certain um, status or age or, or, or um, grade that you could claim your spot where you stood. And other people couldn't stand there because it was your spot. And if they weren't there that day, you were not going to stand in their spot because you would pay for it. They didn't bully in my school. Just beat the crap out of you in the hallways, and the teachers would look and put the head back in, you know. And so, um, I, I, as a freshman, I'm just little, you know, skinny nothing as a freshman, and I'm walking around, and I, and I, I had acquaintances, but I didn't have friends, so I'm walking around alone, and saying you know, hi to everybody, and I get to this one point, and there's this one guy, I think he was a junior, senior, I don't remember, but I know he had a reputation. And, you know, I assumed, like, as a, as a junior, senior, he'd probably been in jail six times already. And I, I know that he'd killed numerous people. And I'm coming around a corner, and I came around a corner, and he was standing there, and I realized, I'm in his space. 
And as I'm standing there, everything else kind of goes out of focus, and there he is. Well, actually, there he is. And I'm thinking, that's it, I'm dead. And he looks at me, and he gets that look in his eye. And then he goes like this. And walks away. I'm thinking, yeah, this is pretty sweet. Uh, I'm more amazing than I think. And I turned just enough to see my brother was standing behind me. He had come up behind me just as this kid was about to pound me into a little pile of nothing on the floor. And he sees my brother and he goes, like that. Walked away. And I looked at my brother and my brother goes, (laughs) and walks away. We were best friends for years after that. But someone stuck by me. Someone was with me that helped me get through a really difficult situation. And during the middle of that situation, I didn't know he was with me. I didn't have to know he was with me. I have said this many times before. This thing about being in the storms, it is all about who is with you in the boat. That's what it's about. In three of the Gospels, it tells a story about Jesus having had a busy day, you know, teaching and telling parables and healing people, and it was a a busy, long day, and it's getting near evening. He wants to get to the other side of the lake, and so he tells the disciples, come on, let's climb in a boat and go to the other side of the lake. So they jump in the boat, they get him in the boat, and they start going across the lake, and Jesus is just exhausted from what he's done that day. And it says he grabs one of the, the pillows, the seat cushions, gets in the back of the boat, lays down, and goes sound asleep. This is the Sea of Galilee. If you've ever seen pictures of it, there's Sea of Galilee, and it's got these, these hills and mountains all around it. And it's kind of like my house with the, with the woods across the street way behind me. It creates like a wind tunnel. And it can be like three mile an hour breeze in town. And it's a 25 mile an hour wind at my house. That's what the Sea of Galilee was like. And it could go from dead calm to humongous waves where you couldn't see the shore in in seconds. It could stir up. And so there in this boat, Jesus is sleeping and the storm goes crazy. And they're trying to get to the other side. They're they're rowing. They don't know what they're going to do. It says the water from the waves is coming up over the, the handrails onto the boat, starting to fill up the boat. And they're panicked. They're terif- excuse me, terrified. They run to the back of the boat to wake Jesus. They don't run. It's a small boat. They get to the back of the boat and they're shaking. Jesus, wake up, wake up. And they said to him, Master, teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? I don't know. I don't remember if this was before or after they found out Jesus could walk on water. And maybe they thought the boat would go down, they would go down, and he'd be standing there, you know. I don't know that they knew that yet. They're thinking, we're dead. And Jesus looked at him and said, you have little faith. And he actually spoke to the wind and to the waves and calmed it down. Now, I learned a truth to that story many years ago. I have it written in one of my old Bibles near the side of this passage, that sometimes God calms the storm. Sometimes he lets the storm rage and calms his child. And Jesus was sound asleep there because he trusted God. His job wasn't done. He knew he was going to make it through that. They should have known that they would get through it because Jesus is in the boat. He's who he said he was. He's not done yet. If you're with him, you're safe. That's something that's true about every area of life. You want something not to fall apart? 
Jesus needs to be there. You want your relationship to be better? Get Jesus in the relationship. You want your finances to be better? Get Jesus in the finances. If Jesus is in your boat, you don't have to worry because the truth is peace is not found in the absence of a storm. Peace is found in the presence of Jesus. And you can be with Jesus in the boat in the worst storm you can imagine and experience peace because he's the Prince of Peace. Sometimes he calms a storm. Sometimes he lets the storm rage and calms his child. Our story continues. I'll just read verse 23 again. Last night, he says, An angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me. God was right there beside me in the presence uh, with this angel. He said, And said, Do not be afraid, Paul. Now, we want to stop right there. Because we want him to come to us in our storm and stand beside us and say, Don't be afraid. It's all going to be okay. And the truth is, that's not what he says sometimes. Sometimes it's like Paul here. He says, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. He's saying, don't be afraid, Paul. You're going to get through this storm because you've got to stand trial for murder, you know, or whatever, in front of Caesar, and he's going to put you to death. But you'll make it through this storm. <laughs> See, he's saying, you can't go down in this boat in this storm, because you have to stand trial before Caesar. And he often says that to us. You're not going to go down in this battle because there's another battle to fight. This isn't going to be the one that takes you down, don't worry. But there's another one to fight. Literally, though, what God is saying to us is, I'm not finished with you yet. It's not over yet. For Paul and for us, He's saying, you have more people to bless. Yeah, you're going to stand before Caesar. Yeah, you're going to be in prison. But oh, you're going to write letters that change the world. And you're going to encourage people and help people grow. And people as part of Caesar's household are going to get saved because you're going to be there. And the truth is what he says to him is the same for us. You have more people to bless. You have more opportunities to serve. You have more opportunities to give. You have more people to point to Jesus. This isn't the end. Because what we think is often only about us, it's usually about other people as well. We just kind of focus on ourselves during that. There's a passage of Scripture I like. It's not on the screen, but in, in, in 2 Corinthians 1, uh, Paul is writing and he says this, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. That's very important. The source of your comfort is not being comfortable. The source of your comfort is not getting out of the storm. The source of your comfort is not stuff or things or people. The source of your comfort is God. He says he is the source of all comfort. And verse 4, he comforts us in, not after, in all our troubles, our storms, so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. You see, sometimes he calms the storm. Sometimes he lets the storm rage and calms his child and you will have the opportunity to comfort someone else going through that. 
because God's not finished with us yet. You survived your storm to help someone else fight the fight of faith, to help someone else get through that. Maybe, maybe you have overcome unfaithfulness in your marriage, and God has gotten you through that so that you can help someone else learn how to forgive and learn how to live by God's grace. Maybe it's one of those financial things and you have climbed out of debt and gotten out of that storm. It's not just for you. It's so that you can tell others it can be done. It can work. Maybe you're six months sober or smoke-free and you've survived, you're surviving that storm. That is so that you can tell other people, Jesus gives us hope. You can make it. Jesus can set you free. We survive those storms so that we can have a story that can comfort others. Here's where we'll wrap up our passage in Acts today. Verse 25, he says, So, based on the fact that you're going to make it through the storm, he says, So, keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen. And here's the key. Just as he told me. You see, Paul's faith is not in what he sees. His faith is in what God says. My faith is not in what I see. My faith is in what God says. There are too many people that want to have faith and they don't know what God says because they never spend any time in the Bible. His word. You ever read the Bible? Yeah, I read that. I think it was like a, a, a 94. I think I spent a little time in it. You know, if you're not in it every day, you don't know what God's saying. He speaks through his word, and the faith is not in what we see. The faith is in what he says. And the more you experience that, the more you will understand. If he says it, it's true. And Paul knew it. The faith was not in the boat. The faith was in the one who commands the winds and the waves. And he knew that. His faith could be in God even when it didn't look like it on the outside. Because like, like their situation, you can't control your situation. You try, and that's why you're having some of the problems you're having. You can't control it. You can't control when the storm starts. You can't control how bad it gets. You can't control how long it lasts. Just like that, you can't control what other people do. You can't control what other people think. You can control who you listen to. And too often in the storms, we listen to the wrong people. We listen to the people that are giving us the wrong message. And we wonder why we don't have the joy. We wonder why we're not getting out of anything. It's because we're listening to the wrong message. You can control who you listen to. You can also control what you say. There's a whole lot we don't have control over, but there are some things we have control over. I can control where I place my faith. It's not in the boat. My faith is placed in Him. What He says will happen. But sometimes in the storm, we mishear Him, and we assume something's going to happen because that would be in our best interest, and it's really easy to hear those things. And that's not necessarily what He said. So our faith is not in what we think He said. Our faith is in what He really said. I love Psalm 46. The first three verses of it say this. God is our shelter. That means He's all around us. Above us, in front of us, beside us. 
behind us. He's all around us. God is our shelter and our strength. Always ready to help in times of trouble. He's always ready to help in the middle of your storm. Verse 2 says, So, because that's who God is, we will not be afraid. And we like to stop right there and think, we'll not be afraid because he's going to come and rescue me. And the truth is, the psalmist says, so we will not be afraid even if the earth is shaken and the mountains fall into the ocean depths. Even if the seas roar and rage and the hills are shaken by the violence of it. It's because he doesn't trust in the circumstances, he trusts in God. God's his shelter and strength and he's there, right there, ready to help him, even though all hell may break loose around him. God is still there. Never let the presence of a storm cause you to doubt the presence of God. Whether it's your your job situation, whether it's the economy, whether it's relationships you have that are breaking down, you you lost a job, didn't get the job you wanted, whatever the situation is, I don't know what you're going through. I know what I'm going through, and I know what I've been through. I don't know what I have yet to go through, but here's what I know. He, God, He is what I need. He is my safety. He is my strength. He is my comforter. He is my source. He is my redeemer. He is my sustainer. He alone is my provider. He is my assurance. He is my salvation. He is with me. And he is, he is with us. That's the message of Christmas. God is with us. And when you claim him as Lord and Savior, and his spirit comes and lives in you, he said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So right in the middle of the storm, he's right there with us. Let's pray. Father, I know that there's many times that when we're in the middle of a storm, we doubt your presence. I pray, Father, that the presence of a storm would never cause us to doubt your presence. That we would recognize that even if we don't see it, hear it, feel it, or experience it, that we can know that you're there. That we can trust that what you say is true. That you came to give us peace. You're the Prince of Peace. And peace is not the absence of of a storm. Peace is the presence of Jesus, the presence of a good God who loves us. So, Father, for those here who have stepped across that line from unbelief to belief and claimed you as Savior, that Jesus came 2,000 years ago, just like he said, that you became one of us, that you lived the perfect, sinless life and willingly gave it up and died on the cross for our sins, And three days later, rose again and ascended to heaven, promising to come back for us. That when we place our faith and trust in you as Savior, we get your presence and that you will never leave us or forsake us. And that in the middle of it, we can trust in you and what you say. And Father, for those who have never experienced that before, it's been about church or religion that this morning they would realize it's about a relationship with a God who loves them so much He demonstrated it by becoming one of us 
and ultimately dying to pay the price for our sins. And then in simple faith, anybody who doesn't, um, has never experienced that, who has never taken that step of faith, would this morning say, Jesus, I don't understand all that, but as much as I understand of myself, I give to as much as I understand of you. And I believe that what you did on the cross was for me. That as we celebrate Christmas and God being with us, that you will be with me now and forever. You will never leave me or forsake me. Father, thank you for your love for us and for that promise. And it's in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please stand for the closing song. Do you want that kind of joy? There's only one way to have that kind of joy in the middle of the storm. And it was announced 2,000 years ago when they said, I bring you good tidings of great joy at one of the most volatile periods in history when there was a storm around them that they could see no hope out of. Hope came. Hope came in the form of a baby. God became one of us. And one of the reasons is so that in the middle of your storm you could have unspeakable joy. Remember, if you call Journey North Church home and you come to one of the first two services, come get your seat. I'm not saying don't get your seat, but if it starts filling up, be willing to allow guests to take your seat because we want people to hear that there is hope and there is joy in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your love for us. We thank you that peace doesn't come in the absence of a storm. We're grateful for that because there are so many storms that we go through. We are thankful that peace comes in the presence of Jesus, in the presence of a good God. And I pray that we would never let the presence of a storm cause us to doubt your presence knowing that you are there right by us and that we can trust in what you've told us, that we can put faith in that, knowing that if you get us through this storm, you comfort us in the middle of it, we'll be able to help someone else. Father, thank you. We love you. And it's in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen.